Welcome to another episode of the Property Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stockbridge. This podcast is all about the first principles of real estate. So regardless of where you are around the world, you'll be able to glean concepts and ideas from this podcast that you can apply to your very own marketplace. Whether you be a real estate professional or simply a property enthusiast, I'm sure you're going to find a home on this podcast. And if you do, and you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure that you're receiving notifications of all new episodes as they become available. We're certainly trying our best to cover all topics in real estate. And today, we're talking about what is underpinning property values in much of the Western world right now. And that is a recent surge in migration, particularly over the last 10 or so years. Canada, the United States, New Zealand, Australia have all seen a most recent wave of migration from, I would say, non-traditional sources. In the 50s and 60s and 70s, we had that wave, that post-war wave of migration from other parts of the British Empire. In the 60s and 70s, we found Italians and Greeks and Mediterranean stock find their way over here. In the 70s, 80s and 90s, we found that there was a large contingent of Vietnamese and Cambodian people that were largely displaced by the wars that were taking place in that part of the world at that point in time. And more recently, we've found that uh, since Australia's involvement in the Afghanistan war, we've found that uh, increasingly we've got a new surge of migration coming from the Middle East and Afghanistan. But there's a, a little less known demographic that's found its way to Australia and called it home over recent times. This story is very, very interesting. They're the Bhutanese Nepalese community. These are people that are ethnically Nepalese. They speak Nepalese. Uh, they're of the Hindu faith. And yet they resided in a Buddhist state of Bhutan for over 300 years. In the last 30 or so years, they've been subject to much persecution as their way of life was somewhat threatened. Being a relatively small population in a very isolated area, they soon found themselves under pressure from the government, often under the threat of violence, in order to vacate what had been their home for hundreds of years and to make their way back to Nepal. Nepal, of course, didn't consider them to be Nepalese after 300 or so years. You can't much blame them for that either. And those people who've often regarded themselves as being Nepalese or very much aligned uh, to the Nepalese state uh, found themselves very much disappointed when open arms weren't offered uh, by the Nepalese people. It's somewhat easy to understand why the Nepalese government has its own set, set of problems, but nonetheless, what they did do was establish a refugee camp, and in some cases, people were forced to reside there for decades. Over the last 10 or so years, the Western nations of the world, Canada, United States, Australia, New Zealand, have uh, opened their doors to the Bhutanese Nepalese community, and um, as a result, we've had a a surge of recent buyer activity from that particular demographic as they established themselves here. What was really interesting in this podcast was just understanding why they are so enthusiastic about property. Um, this group of people have not had their own home. They've essentially been stateless. They've been rendered um, essentially um, assetless 
uh, for decades in uh, these camps that dot along the border in the Himalayas and um, and for many years have been persecuted not had the opportunity to freely practice their faith and to speak their own language. Um, of course, in Australia, we enjoy all those freedoms of religion association and um, you can you speak whatever language you like. Um, and ultimately, um, they found themselves here enjoying all of those freedoms. But more importantly, as soon as they can, they save up and they buy a property. They are very, very happy to live frugally. They're happy to live collectively. They're happy to live in large family groups and they save very, very quickly. And the first thing they invest in is real estate. And having heard their story of displacement, I can certainly understand why. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Locke Gamry, who's a young leader of the Bhutanese Nepalese community. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of takeaways here uh, that you can apply to your marketplace as you see similar dynamics play out. Welcome to the Property Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stockbridge. And joining me now is Locke Gamry. Locke, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for letting me come and talk to you. Locke, uh, you're one of the young leaders in the community and um, and certainly the, uh, the area has changed somewhat over the last, I would say, uh, five to ten years. Certainly the complexion of some of the suburbs around Salisbury has changed quite dramatically and people uh, have noted to me and said, you know, I see these people walking around, they're really colourful, they're really polite, they're really nice. I don't know where they're from, I don't know if they're Indian or if they're, where, where they're from. So there's a... Um, there's a little bit of mystery uh, around the community at the moment, Locke, and, and perhaps if you can kind of explain um, a little bit about the background of the community, uh, how they found their way to, a, to Australia, and, uh, and perhaps um, a little bit of the history associated with all of that. Sure. Um, I'll probably start um, from when we start coming to Australia and then go back to history. Sure. Um, we start coming to Australia um, early 2008, and then... Rapidly, as you can see, with the last 10 years, we've been growing in Salisbury, and then slowly it's, it's getting around Adelaide now. We're spreading all over, all over Adelaide. Um, so the history behind it was as all of our family were born in Bhutan, and then they pretty, pretty much escaped away from Bhutan within a political issue and religious issue and a lot more things, um, which is long history behind it. Um, and myself being born in a refugee camp wouldn't have lot of clues. Um, I've, I haven't seen but I've heard um, the history behind it from my families, my grandparents and how terrible life they've gone through Bhutan before they escaped from Bhutan. And then coming back to Nepal, they lived in a refugee camp for plus 20 years and then there are still some people living there. Mm-hmm. So from from a refugee camp to Australia and then now uh, in different states and then especially in Adelaide, starting from Salisbury and uh, pretty much all all of a different suburb right now in Adelaide. Yeah. And um, and so how many um, of the Bhutanese, uh, Nepalese community are now here in, in Adelaide? Um, I'm, I don't have the exact statistic at the moment right now with me, but um, I'm sure there'll be more than 4,000 plus 4,000 um, in Adelaide. Um, yeah. And the best, they were best, mostly best in um, Salisbury suburb at the beginning. Yeah. But now they're spreading more in uh, Monopara, Smithfield, Elizabeth, uh, some gone to a bit further, Mawson Lakes, Prattville Garden. So it's it's 
law law um around the places. Yeah. Most of them are still um, within Salisbury Council area. Yeah. But they're spreading uh, spreading around Adelaide now. Yeah. So and a lot of people probably aren't familiar with that that little bit background there where the the the, the community it's a it's ethnically Nepalese but lived in Bhutan for hundreds of years. Yeah. And um and then during um. Uh, over the last 20 or 30 years, there's been some political friction in, in that part of the world and that led to the Bhutanese authorities essentially pushing the community across the border and into Nepal. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's what happened. So um, there were three different um, types of people in Bhutan, and even with their the original people, that's what they think about, which our parents spent there for hundreds of years and we thought they were the people that belonged to that country as well. But in some part of the country and some of the people that lived there for a little longer than us didn't think mm. that we were part of it. And um, we were not allowed to practice our own religion and our own culture and tradition that our parents have been practicing there. And then the country itself um, were growing rapidly. And then with our community, with the Nepalese people living in Bhutan, practicing uh, um, our religion, our own uh, tradition, wasn't allowed at some point, and really? um, our schooling uh, with our own language wasn't wasn't allowed as well. Mm. So, it uh, the Nepalese community in Bhutan started start to raise their voice for human rights to be able to do what we've been doing for a long time and living in the country and practicing our um, own religions and everything. So that was not allowed, and got into the point where. Um, the Bhutanese government start treating us differently than we were getting treated. Um, so at, discrimination, essentially. Yeah, it was it was a lot more discrimination and um, separation from the people of their types and our types. So they would so segregation at, yeah, as well. They would start looking at looking us differently than them, and um, it was not just that. A lot of people have been jailed, uh, such as my granddad uh, from my oh, mum's really? side was jailed and then killed. Uh, by the government side, so a wow. um, lot of our people, a lot of our sisters, mothers, and um, women were taken away and raped, and all these kind of things happened. And majority of the male side were um, taken to jail, such as my granddad from my dad's side had lived in jail for mm. 18 months or so without even doing anything. He was just a normal person. He was a farmer, so he was best in the farm, and he had his own small business that he used to grow the crops and sell it to different people yeah so my family's belongs uh, my families are from a farmer sites and then even from that background most of my parents have been jailed for so so long and a lot of our, our mother side and auntie side were raped and threatened and so that were there were no humanity at that time so which made them to go back to Nepal where they think they would get some um, some support yeah. yes they were same speaking, same religious uh, background from Nepal. So yeah. we pretty much say everything the same as long history where they were gone from Nepal anyway. Yeah. So they had to come back and I, it doesn't seem like they were given as much space back, space back home again. So in Nepal they were not um, treated as the people that were from there again. So mm -hmm. they end up living in a refugee camp for um, more than 20 so, years. So essentially making these people stateless, where they'd, they've lived for you know generations, over 300 years in one particular part of the world, and, and in somewhat isolation, because it is, it's in the Himalayas yeah. there, and, and then all of a sudden communication starts to open up, the Bhutanese government wants to assert greater authority over that region. It is a landlocked area, there's limited resources. Yeah. 
and through this um, uh, ethnic persecution of your people, essentially pushing them across the border. Uh, but uh, the Bhutanese are saying kind of pushing you back home, but it yeah. was a it was a home in Nepal that didn't see you as being Nepalese either. Yeah, so no. really leaving you in a legal um, pretty uh, much with nothing, no man's like land. Middle of, middle of the ocean, they would say like we had nowhere to escape. Um, and that was not just the end. Like a lot of lot of our people um, were still in Bhutan. Like a lot of our uh, uh, male side parents were still in Bhutan in jail mm. when uh, the other side of the family were running away because that was the only option. That the Bhutanese government would release those people once their family leave the country. And such as my granddad was um, killed a few days before my parents had to leave the country. And yeah. um, my mum was pregnant for. Uh, six months or so, and at the same time, she was carrying two babies. Uh, one was three years old, and one was one year old, with herself. And being a Hindu uh, woman, when parents passed away, you had to be fasting for 13 days, mm. and you're not allowed to be touched by a lot of other people. They're limited so they can uh, support you. Yeah. And you're not allowed. You're limited with the food. That you're not allowed to eat this food and that food. Yeah. So you're really, really restricted. And she was walking uphill. For so many days to cross the border with two babies on her two arms and the one inside her uh, tummy. So that was like three, four, four um, human bodies that she was carrying wow. with a limited source. And she was in herself, as my dad, were not allowed to be together when they were leaving the country because they were running from different sides. That's and she had, the dad passed away three days earlier than she had to leave the country. So she still had 10 more days that she had to be fasting. She was not allowed to wear the proper clothes. She had to wear um, limited source of clothes. They were provided uh, when someone passed away in a family. Yeah. And no no sodium. So you're not allowed to eat sodium in oh. terms of that thing. And there's no, you're only allowed to eat one meal a day. And being a pregnant woman, having mm. one meal a day, I don't think that would be essential. Yeah. And those are the reasons that it got into really worse condition. And when she gave a birth, our young, um, my oh, the brother that's older than me, she gave it, but and he, he, he didn't make it. He didn't make it to life. He, no. he was he was alive for a few days, and then he passed away. So those things pretty much traumatized all of our families, like okay. a lot of our family. And even though walking that long distance uphill for that many days and coming to Nepal and not being given the same chances everyone were given, yeah. so there was nothing else. There were no supports and families. It takes a long time for family to get together again because they run away from different directions. They came from different places. Yeah. So you would take a couple of months to reunion the family again. Yeah. There were so no mobile phones or no, 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 no communication. No text messages. They were pretty much following the track to get uh, where they're heading to. Yeah. And somehow the, uh, some people were being messengers. So sending people to the other side and coming back to this side and telling the story what happened there. And yeah. pretty much the communication would take days to transport what happened and what's happening with your family. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that was really, really bad. A lot, lot of people are still traumatized. Uh, I think looking at my mom right now mm. and her health condition, I would say um, it's rapidly you, you, uh, you decreasing. Were, you were just explaining a little bit off air the health difficulties that your, your mum's yeah. now um, facing and um, you can't help but think that in some uh, part that's not, you know, the, the period they're somewhat responsible for yeah. that. Um, and so the, the, the experience there from much of your community is that you found yourself stateless, you're in a Nepalese refugee camp, and what were the options from, from there? Obviously, initially, the hope was that the Nepalese state would open their arms and 
help you re-establish in, in Nepal, when that became obvious that they weren't interested in that, what, what were the options there in the refugee camp? Yeah, um, there, there, in 1991 was the time when the refugee camp was settled down, and there were seven different camps within Nepal. Um, it was an eastern part of Nepal, mm-hmm. so they were given a refugee camp, and then after some times of living in a refugee camp, the UN came in and they started supporting us, and mm. we were living in a small huts, which was pretty much is smaller than some of the room that we have here, yeah. and uh, it was, I would say, six by nine was the probably the house size, so and we like had a the tent. kitchen. Yeah, it, yeah, it was pretty much like a tent because it was made of bamboo and thatch in the top, and each family had to live in that small cage kind of thing, and a lot of a lot of us had, had a big family, so kitchen, bathroom. Um, Mm-hmm. Bedroom and everything was combination. All in the one, one room. Yeah, all in one. How so humbling. in that condition, we lived there for um, 20 odd years and mm-hmm. I was born there. So mm-hmm. pretty much everything, all of my world was uh, surrounded by 38 hectare land. So yeah. that was a camp that we lived in yeah. within 38 hectares. So uh, my la- my world was 38 hectares for 13, 14 years of my life. So Wow. So, so you were born in, in the refugee camp and you were a teenager by the time you had to leave. Yeah. And, and so what, what are your impressions of, um, what, what are the hopes of your, your, your parents during this time? Like are they hope, hoping to, uh, are they waiting for the UN to perhaps um, provide them with a home? Are they waiting for, are they, how does that whole process for them try, how do they try and get out of that situation? Well, um- was there any way out of the situation? That wasn't until um, IOM, International Organization, came in um, to support us. And I think um, seven of these uh, country, the first world country, came in together to support us, to mm-hmm. get us out of the camp um, for a resettlement. Mm-hmm. That's why the majority of our people end up in the US right now. And mm-hmm. plus 7,000 of us are in Australia now, yeah. among plus 100,000 people that were in the camp, seven different camps. So um, now pretty much 95% of our population has resettled in all these seven different countries, including UK, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Norway, and Denmark. So those countries has offered us, um, depending on their their situation, limited spots for the family to be resettled, Mm -hmm. which Australia had offered 5,000 at the beginning, and now we got more than 7,000 here. Yeah. US offered plus 60,000 at the beginning, and yeah. I'm sure there's more than 80,000 that resettled there, and mm-hmm. New Zealand was among the other country that offered 2,500, so I'm pretty sure there's more than 3,000 <laughs> of us living in that region. Yeah. Even though we've been resettled, there's still a lot of, lot of sad stories. Um, same situation pretty much happened uh, when we leave Bhutan, so we end up in a all these different countries now. All of our family lived in all all over the world now, yeah. which so and this was a really tight knit community for hundreds of years. Yeah. So basically, lived with very close proximity yeah. to each other, maintaining these uh, these, these cultural institutions, yeah. and, um, and and now there's now a diaspora right across right across the world. So how is it that the community these days um, still still holds together? I think these big countries that give us gave us a lot of opportunities that were hidden uh, within us like mm-hmm. a lot of lot of people we had in our community were a lot more talented than we've been noticed and a lot of them has gone overseas and done really well and living in country like this there's a lot there's always an opportunity for us to progress ourselves 
and making our family together, we have a lot more chance. And I guess a lot of our people has already start traveling overseas, meeting our families. And um, I myself has traveled a few different countries. I've seen my family's friends um, and my families has already been to a few other countries and met their families. Yeah. So it kind of helps when you live in the country like this, like Australia. So it's a lot safer. We don't have to worry as much about um, as much about our health system as we were back in camp, yeah. where a lot of our family were passing away each day with this small disease such as malaria, um, uh, any anything diarrhea would end up yeah. to worst case scenario, and any any of those small diseases would go really badly. And yeah. not having enough supports from healthcare sector, not having enough facility for schooling. Such as when we came here, everyone of us are going to do, pretty much doing well yeah. in terms of schools. So those are the things that are helping us to see our future better. And this is this is something that's making our um, elderly people like um, happier than what they were in the camp, even though yeah. they don't share same culture or same religion here, because yeah. they have been given an opportunity to do so within their boundaries, which we don't given in Bhutan, yeah. even though they were doing within their boundaries, they were not, uh, they were not allowed. So yeah. here, coming to a country like this, you can do anything within yeah. your boundaries. So that's where they, they can see the happiness. They, they practice um, everything they have been practicing from hundreds of years yeah. within their boundaries, and their kids and their families are doing really well uh, in terms of education, uh, in terms of uh, living and the lifestyles and get the support they've been given with the health systems and everything else. I think that's something that's uh, bringing our community together again. Yeah. So, so for a lot of those uh, those older uh, the, the older generation now that that were amongst that persecuted generation that that fled um, to Nepal and spent you know in some cases decades there in the yeah. refugee camps, um, they're really enjoying living here in Australia um, and and much of the Western world are these these countries that they've gone to because they can still that they can maintain that connection and link to the homeland through the traditions and, and both the oral traditions, the, the religious traditions. They can still practice freely all of that and engender that yeah. into their kids, the next generation, uninhibited, but at the same time offer them a quality of life and opportunities that wouldn't have been provided yeah, where they no, were. We, we, would never, we would never have opportunity to do most of the things that we've been doing here yeah and um, not just in terms of opportunity in terms of health condition we would be restricted for so many things because we wouldn't have the health system that we have here so if you got into a small health issue that could lead up to worse worst yeah. case so that that has been prevented here and with the parents side uh, when they see their kids and their children are doing well mm. i think that's something that supports them and at the same time, they've been given a space and chance to practice what they've been practicing for hundreds of years yeah. within their boundaries. And that is happening more often here. So the families are getting together now. Communities are, um, even though we live a bit further apart from each other, we get together on the weekend basis. Mm -hmm. And parents still practice what they've been practicing. It's still transferred to their kids. And yeah, yeah it's, it's slowly building. Yeah, that's a, that's terrific. And, um, and I guess... Um, you know, for, from a time of real uncertainty um, to, to now at least um, be able to give the next generation the opportunity to plan for a, a stable and prosperous future um, would be um, is very much vindication for their, their hard work and their sacrifice over that, that quite a tumultual period. 
Um, so, um, look, we um, we have experienced um, this wave of migration um, from your community over the last five or ten years, and it's been um, uh, it, there are clusters that have popped up in uh, Salisbury, Salisbury North, um, even in Elizabeth Vale. Yeah. Um, and I think for those reasons that you've outlined, obviously there's a real yearning to keep community together and families together. Um, is it fair to say that when um, there's also a, um, um, I would say one of the characteristics of, of your community is that they're very um, industrious, hardworking, but also very frugal. And so I um, often encounter a lot of young people from your community that have saved tremendously working you know, quite hard jobs, um, but have saved every cent, live really frugally. They don't go out and get a, a flash new car and, you know, the, the latest a, a brand new watch. They're saving, saving, saving. And then when they've got enough money, they're, they're putting it into a property. Deposit, yeah. Really, really high percentage of um, property um, ownership amongst the community for what is a relatively new community. I think, I think um, our people have been sick of, uh, not having anything under their not name. Having right? yeah, not, yeah. not having a home. Yeah, not having any property under their name. Yeah. So um, seeing our family live in that terrible situation when we're growing up and um, not having enough supports, um, uh, not, not having enough supports in terms of having anything to encounter for ourselves and yeah. not, not nothing for future savings. Or we were not given a chance to work. Our family were pretty much in the uh, small camp and not getting to go outside and explore the country or explore the, mm. explore the work area. So when we come here, uh, I don't think any of us has really matter work as... In not, the traditional not, sense, yeah. because they've basically been working to survive, yeah. and they're, now they're, yeah, they're, now they're they, in work. They're used to working in any condition, pretty much, because yeah. they have lived their life in any condition. That, so yeah. they would not mind going out there and working long hours, long day, any, yeah. any weather, any day. So yeah. And I think every one of us are doing the same thing so that way we can encounter something under our name. Yeah. We, we, we want to say these things belongs to us. So all, a lot of us have already either purchased the land or purchased the houses mm. because we want to say we got something. And that is something that makes our parents happy as well. So mm. seeing our parents, seeing us doing something good, having something under our name makes lot lot of the pressure like a lot of the pressure get released from our parents' side as well. Yeah. So we, I would say um most of most of our people that been in the country for more than five years mm. within a family pretty much got their own property now. Yeah. As they go out there, start working, start saving. And the good thing about us we we, we contribute together. So we, we contribute together to start our first home and then spread that from the next one and next one. I've, so, I've noticed that multiple generations, you might have a young couple that'll buy the home, but then they'll have mum and dad and sometimes their grandmother with them and, yeah. and then they'll have their family. And so you can have four or sometimes five generations under under the one under roof, the essentially. Roof, yeah. and, so, and everybody very happy with that yeah, scenario. That, that, that it's helps. A, you that don't helps. see that so much with Westerners. They don't, you know, don't have this multi-generations under the same roof I in think, the same way. I think we still got that um, habit of, um, living in a big family and then yeah. also uh, we tend to be close to each other mm. uh, and that that really helps when you're living in a country like this. Uh, yeah. It's more better financial helps when you're fairly new, when you don't know much about the country. Yeah. And also when you, we don't have a lot of other options. Yeah. There's no other way that we could be living happily unless we live within a family. Yeah. Otherwise your family, you'll be the only driver. Yeah. And you'll be the one that 
will be taking your grandparents and then the parents to different appointment, hospital, uh, here and there. Yeah. Everything could be depending on one person, one driver, yeah. either two drivers. So living in a different houses would affect them in terms of renting and grandparents and parents not going to work and mm. they probably won't be able to afford all this living. So I think we only got one way to mm. live here and to be happy is to live in a family, yeah. support each other. And I think that's something that we have still been going and yeah. I think that will go for a long term. Yeah. That, that will go for a long run. And that is something that will support us to build our life better here. Yeah. Because what happened is a lot of, lot of our people, we don't send our children to child kids. What happened yeah. is our grandparents at home, they look after they look our children. Up. So that's another savings. And yeah. every every bit of um, bits of coin, as you said, mm. um, is going into our savings so for the next property. You, yeah. You'll collectivize a little bit more and everybody will club their money together yeah. to help the, the, your brother or your sister Sisters, or, yeah. or uh, somebody else so that they can get their start and, and they can then share the load within that within, family within network. The family, yeah. a, which is a which is a beautiful way of doing it, um, and um, and it, and it certainly has been a, a characteristic and one of the reasons. And I also think when um, you come from a circumstance like that where there's been no rule of law and and you've had no property possession rights and and you don't have a home and you you're stateless, then the value of having your own little piece of the world to yourself that can't be taken away from you, regardless. Um, is is really it's major. It's, it's a it's big a, thing for us. It's um, a, as I said, it's a really special thing, and I think yeah. a lot of locals don't really appreciate the the value of that. I mean, I would not say a lot of them, but I think it's it's due to the lifestyles they have in us is a lot different, a lot different, and being grown up here. I, as I get to as I as I said, I get a chance to pretty much grow up half of my life here. Now I'm yeah. I'm 25, and I've I've spent half of my life in refugee camp, half of my life here. So even myself, when I compare with my elders, uh, brothers, and those things, it, it's a lot of difference. A lot of difference growing up here and then growing up back home. Yeah. The things that we prioritize back home is different than what we prioritize here. Yeah. So uh, people that has lived there, gone gone to a certain level of education back home, with their hard work paying off their paying off from their own pocket, escaping away from the camp, yeah. has realized that they needed something as soon as they can. For young lads like us, we tend to taper our life into Western life, and mm. that can be compli- complex sometimes within a family. Yeah. Some some family could have escaped it there, some family would have trouble doing the same thing. Mm. So there are a few different things, but in terms of property, everyone is same. So mm. I want to get a property, this one wants to get a property. Mm-hmm. So as, it is something that we really dreamed of now, living in this country, we want to have something under our name. We want to we wanna have our own, own home where we can call this is the place I can live. This yeah. is something that I can go back at the end of the day and then live freely yeah. where we didn't have one. Yeah. So that, that's why every, every young lads, every, every young, young guys that I know, and the, the dreams of ha- their dream is to have their house next dream, ne- yeah. next, next pay. This, this money goes to house deposit. Yeah. This, one, this one goes to house saving and all that thing. Mm. So it, it, it is getting, it is getting um, really regular thing now so mm. some some of our family some of some of the people that i know have already um, got a couple of houses like yeah. a few, few four or five houses within 10 years 10 years gap Incredible. so i think this is all because of a family suppose that we, we live in the same the same under the same roof yeah. six seven people and helping each other's and then spreading once we have enough yeah um, and once once we each have 
our own house and then we separating instead of uh, just living our own life. There, there seems to be a, a few elements there. One, um, you, you're quite used to um, living in close proximity, having had that experience of being at the refugee camp. So yeah. for one, but culturally already we're living in multi-generational home, uh, uh, home scenarios. And then when you've come to Australia, you've been quite happy to still live frugally, enjoy the opportunity to work hard, knowing that in, in getting the extra money together, um, people, you, you're collectivising those funds so that you can accelerate those younger members of the family into yeah, home, ownership, yeah. home ownership. And the, the older generations appreciate that because it essentially gives them more homes. Yeah. Um, so that, that gives greater certainty and security for the older generations. The younger generations now own their own little slice of paradise and that can't ever be taken, taken away. away I think that's something that our parents are happy here because mm. seeing that thing that's going on in a, in a positive way, living, living so many members of the family in, under the same roof. Mm. And then supporting each other, and at the end of the day, having something named on, on ourselves, mm. and parents seeing that, and then us as young, young growing up, like young young lads that's growing up, growing up, seeing that family has something for us, make really is a lot of pressure for us mm. to go out there and then take a lot of a um, lot of challenges now yeah. in terms of having to rent and do other things. Yeah. They would rather put some money into their own families because at the end of the day, that's theirs. So yeah. I would say within my house, with three three generations living right now, so um, my granddad and then um, my uncle, and then they have a kids as well. Yeah. So they live happily. We get together pretty much every weekend. Yeah. So all of our family, I've got more than 40, 40 members in my one family. Right? That's our immediate family. Yeah. So my granddad's here, grandmom's here. And then uh, five of my uncle with two aunties. We yeah. pretty much all live in Adelaide and get together on every week or weekend basis. So that is still growing. And that with those things, it helps young, young people um, to see how our parents have grown up, how hard they have lived. It, it gave us a chance to say their stories, listen to their stories, mm. and then we can bring that up and then grow with those stories. So we got... Uh, next generation coming up, we we need to tell them where we come from and how we start our life, because I'm sure from any generation that's coming coming after us would have had a, the Western life, mm. and they, would, as you said, they don't appreciate as much for the landing and buying um, in early ages. Yeah. So when they grew, when when they're growing up, they can see they got something mm. for them as well. So they will release a lot of the pressure for them to go and get their better education. So yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of those things pretty much, I think, balance out within, within a community, within a families, to support each other as well. What do, what do you feel have been the challenges in, in the community integrating into local society and community, uh, apart from language, I guess, which would be the, a major barrier, especially for the older generations, but in, in terms of um, the challenges facing the community now, are, are there any even? Um, I don't think there's something that I encounter on top of my head as, as yet because I would say language has just been in um, one of the transition barriers. It's not a big barrier because all, all of the young people that get to come here and study and we have some educated people that mm. has been interpreting our parents whenever they go to hospital or anywhere in that appointment. Yeah. So if I say that we have a lot of barriers here, major barriers here like we did back in Nepal and Bhutan, 
I'll be wrong. I'll, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be lying because okay. if those barriers were still there, then we would not be happy. We would yeah. not be able to progress ourselves to where we are right now. Yeah. So that there may be in barriers in certain ways. They could be, uh, they could be, be. But I haven't encountered one. Mm. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of language, that has always been. Um, even though we got support, we may not be able to be there in some cases. Mm. But that can that can be improved. That that can improve as a families yeah. is growing here. As a families are getting more educated here. Yeah, that can be improved. Yeah, yeah. I, I, often it's just a, a, a time, time frame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but given how quickly that the communities um, uh, popped up locally, and then um, very quickly became a very property savvy and and invested in the area. Uh, it's very obvious that the community is very much here for the long term. Yeah, yeah. I think I think none of the, none of the people that we came here um, and started our life would want to go back to where we came from. Um, mm. I don't think I would ever be able to live in the condition that I lived back home yeah. again. Uh, I would definitely go there to visit. I've, yeah, I've been there, but I don't think I'll be able to live yeah. how I was living before. Um, I I had, as I said, I had no world. My world was a small camp, and mm. I would not dreamed of going back to the same jail back again and then live there for so many years. Yeah. So the freedom, the lifestyles, uh, the system that we have, the education that we get here, um, um, the job security, um, the opportunities that we get here is nothing relevant to what we what we had before. Yeah. So we we are here for long run. We, we will be here for as as many as long as we've been living. Where, where you're here now, you've got the properties now, but yeah. no one can kick you out your own no, houses. No. So, uh, <laughs> no, not, that, not that I've found any. Yeah. You're here, for, here forever now. So, um, uh, well, mate, it, it's been really um, interesting to have this conversation and really insightful and, and uh, wonderful to be able to share some of the experiences of the community because um, we do have, um, and I guess some older residents in the area that say, oh, seeing these new people around, and you know, they're, they're very colourful because often the, uh, yeah, especially some of the old up and all, all, all the things that we have um, because a lot of our a lot of our mums still kind of dress up in their traditional systems yeah that they were which were banned in Bhutan so oh they, really they were, the were reason, they so yeah they were the reason they, were, they had to run away and oh. now they're happily wearing it here and yeah we we either have a puja we either have one function or the other function in one of the other families so they'll be they'll be walking around and they'll be always together on the road they, yeah Wearing these colourful clothes, so we we we've been we've been noticing a lot of people have been telling that as well. Yeah. But at the same time, those people um are friendly. Like oh yeah. People here a lot lot friendly. Yeah. We've been accepted in the community a lot 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 way with with open arms. Uh, yeah. And then the people that um have noticed but uh, least Bhutanese in Adelaide has also uh, found out that we 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 are here for long run. Yeah. We're not here for any of those things that we have faced in the past. So, as at the same time, living together with the community here has been really, really privileged. Um, being welcomed like the way they have done and being settled slowly and adapting to the lifestyle here yeah. has, has changed a lot. Yeah, well, it's um, it's been wonderful to see the community flourish locally, and um, and from my perspective, it's been quite lucrative because uh, you've been uh, the community has been um, very active in the real estate marketplace, and uh, and I think there's uh, certainly pockets of uh, Salisbury and and Salisbury North, and even here in Elizabeth Vale um, over recent times that um, I, you know I think. Uh, 
the property values have surged um, in some cases because oh, yeah. the community values, you know, being close to each other and yeah. and, and will sometimes pay that little premium in order to be close to um, brother, sister, mum and dad and, and that's led to some good results for local home sellers and, of course, great for a community that's going to be here for the long run because... Uh, there's so much positive stuff and improvement in infrastructure that over the next 10 or 20 years, you know, they'll be the ones that benefit. Yeah. Um, we, we we didn't even think about a lot of those things when we first start buying the property. Yeah. Now we kind of do. And it just is start. You'll see a lot, lot of those popping up a lot more. A lot yeah. of the young lads that recently start working. They, yeah. They're recently saving up for the houses and all that. So you'll be you'll be rapidly increasing for some, some years, I guess. Yeah. It, will, it will continually grow and a lot of our people trust the housing investment is the best best investment. So yeah. there's one of the reasons they're, they're popping out everywhere. Well, um, this podcast is now listened to all, all around the world, and in particular in the United States. And um, and we've just been talking about there being uh, somewhere in the vicinity of four or 5,000 um, members of your community here. And, of course, across the United States, you're mentioning close to 80,000. Yeah. And uh, there's certainly um, my best suggestion to um, to anybody who is in real estate and um, is servicing an area that where they have noticed a uh, the Nepalese Bhutanese community pop up is um, certainly make friends and, um, and and do their best to be able to be helpful uh, to the community because they are property savvy. They're, they're looking to uh, put deep roots down in their communities wherever they find themselves and they really value the uh, the experience of home ownership and the security and sanctity that that provides. And um, so um, wherever you might be around the world, wherever you find a Nepalese Bhutanese community, certainly um, uh, make an effort to uh, make contact and uh, develop some friendships and relationships because I think ultimately it's a, it's a good thing for business and it's a good thing for home sellers. And, and if you can help a, a community, as we've just you know described, that have come from the most unfortunate of circumstances, but... Are, are lovely people and, and are, are doing all that they can to flourish in the communities that they find themselves in. So um, I would suggest make friends with them and uh, help them realise their real estate dreams. Sure. So thanks so much, Locke, for joining us on the podcast. Um, I, I hope to have you on again. It's wonderful to have a, a young community leader and thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule Hi. to join us. Thank you so much for letting me talk about myself and a few of the experiences that I have and there's a lot more to be um, done and there will be a lot more coming up. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, absolute pleasure, mate. It's been, it's been wonderful hearing your story. Thank you. Sure. Thank you again. Cheers. The Property Pulse podcast is designed for anybody who's dealing in real estate, whether you're buying or selling, expanding upon your portfolio, or perhaps you're a real estate agent and you're just looking for helpful hints and tips that will accelerate your success in real estate. Well, I hope you found a home on the podcast. And if you have, please subscribe to stay tuned to all new episodes as they become available. 